0: Hello, everyone. My guest today is Whitney Johnson. She's the CEO of WeLG Advisors and one of the 50 leading business thinkers in the world, as named by Thinkers 50. She's also an award-winning author, world-class keynote speaker, frequent lecturer for Harvard Business Schools, corporate learning, and an executive coach and advisors to CEOs. Whitney, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show today.
1: Thomas, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Yes, it's great. So, in the beginning, I always ask the question. So tell us, tell the audience a little bit more about how you got to where you are today.
1: That is such a big question, isn't it? Um so That's great. A, little <laughs> bit, a little bit about where I got where I am today. So let me maybe take two or three minutes and just give a little bit of my background. So um I grew up in California in what is now considered Silicon Valley. Um very middle class background. I you know, went to high school, I um, played the piano, then I went to college and um, studied music in college. Um, and then after I graduate from college, my husband and I moved to New York so he can get his PhD in um, biology at Columbia University. And this is where my story, I think, kind of in the context of the conversation that we're having today really begins is we get to New York, I'm terrified to be there because I grew up in a suburb um, in California, as I mentioned, and um uh, I don't want to leave our apartment. I would stay there all day long, but we need to eat. So I have to go out and get a job. Um, And uh, because I studied music in college and I had zero connections in New York and very little confidence and at the risk of stating what is probably pretty obvious to everybody who's listening. I am a woman. My first job was as a secretary working for a stockbroker. And so a Across from my desk, though, there was this bullpen of young stockbrokers, turned out they were all male. Um, aspiring masters of the universe, pressure to open accounts is intense. So they're saying things like throw down your pom-poms and get in the game. And at first I'm kind of offended by that because I was a cheerleader in high school. But as I heard that over and over and over again, I realized that um, I was going to be working at least five years. Why would I make X when 10X is a possibility? And it was time to throw down my pom-poms. And I would not have known to call it this then, but that was the beginning of me disrupting myself. Uh, I started taking business courses at night, um, accounting, finance, economics. I'm still working as a secretary. But then I have a boss who is willing to help me grow, to give me this opportunity. And that allowed me to move from secretary to investment banker, doesn't happen in financial services. It's a very wide divide, but this boss, his name is Caesar Bias. He made it possible. Um, Then move up in banking. There's a merger. I get disrupted. I move from banking to equity research, which is like a huge step back. And we can talk more about that if you want. Um, But then I had two children, which is a very big disruption. Um, In 2005, I was at the top of what I consider my S curve of learning and disrupted myself again, left Wall Street to become an on entrepreneur connected with Clayton Christensen at the Harvard Business School and um, because I had invested and he is the person who came up with this theory of disruptive innovation he wanted to start a fund asked me if I would help him and his son start that fund did that Um, but then in 2012 these ideas are like in my brain and I'm thinking these aren't just about products and services and companies and countries there's they're about people and so I had written an article called Disrupt Yourself in the Harvard Business Review, and that started this next disruption, which is now I'm an author and a researcher, and I've codified these frameworks of of disruption and personal disruption that I teach to organizations and coach organizations around the world. So that was probably more than three minutes, but that's how I got to where I am today.
0: That is an amazing story. So I obviously have looked on your LinkedIn profile and there is a lot of information and a lot of things that you did, but dive a little bit more into what you currently do and what your current, basically day-to-day life looks like.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So what do you want to know?
0: Well, so you, it says that you are, you know, um, you, you work at VLG Advisors, correct?
1: Yep. Uh-huh. I'm the, the CEO and founder of WLG Advisors.
0: So what do, what, do you, what do you do, Darren? Basically, how do you make money?
1: Oh, I love that question. It's such a great question, right? What's your business model? How do you make money? And so, so basically, our business model is so we've got these frameworks, right? We've got the S curve of learning framework that helps us understand how people grow, um, and then we've also got the framework, the personal disruption um, framework that helps you grow faster. And so, our business is based on those frameworks. In terms of how do we monetize? How? Do, what does our business look like? It's actually shifted quite a bit over the last couple of years. So up until about two years ago, most of the revenue was generated on my speaking that I would do um, around the world and doing keynote, delivering keynote speeches around these ideas. But over the last two years, it's really Kind of flip-flopped of that being sort of 70% of the revenue to that being more like 20 or 30% of the revenue. And now the bulk of our revenue is around coaching around these ideas and working with high growth organizations and helping. For example, we've got a couple of organizations where we coach all of the senior leaders. We're also creating these programs where we're coaching um, the second level managers, et cetera. And so we're Um, 70% of our revenue now is from this coaching and consulting around the S-curve of learning and and the certification that people are able to do and do the coaching on their own as well. So it's really flipped, super exciting, super fun, kind of at the starting to move into the sweet spot of the S-curve in terms of being a business owner and building a business, but it's it's a lot of fun.
0: That is amazing. I I love that. So when you, when you first started out, because we have, you know, a lot of young people, aspiring entrepreneurs listening, but also a lot of experienced people who already have their businesses. What were yep. some of the best resources that have helped you along the way? It could, can be, you know, 20 years ago when you first started out or, you know, just seven years ago when you, when you got into VLG Advisors
1: yeah so i guess um at the beginning of my career i I i'd say one resource this won't sound like a resource but it is is to put yourself in a situation where you're around people that are going to up your game so for example i one of the reasons i love new york like i just love it. Uh, Manhattan in particular is because I feel like this is a place that really helped me shape who I am and gave me a sense of the possibilities that were there. So if you grow up in a fairly small town, I went to college in Utah, um, which I loved, but I wasn't around people who were going to push me from a Wall Street perspective. So I would say for anybody who's listening, who's at the very beginning of your career, and you're trying to figure out, well, what do I do? put yourself in a situation where there are gonna be people around you that are gonna push you to up your game. Now, you don't necessarily want people that they're so much better than you that you just give up, like, oh, I can't even even try. But you want them to be better enough than you that you're like, okay, uh, these are my people and they're pushing me really hard, but I can do this. So that would be um, one big piece of advice I would give for people kind of earlier in your career. And then the second piece of advice for earlier in your career, and then I'll go to kind of more recent, is when you're looking at opportunities, you're going to have two or three or four opportunities that you might take. And early on, you may not yet know what it is you want to be when you grow up. Like, I don't think most people really figure out what they feel like they're meant to do until their 40s or 50s. So you might be thinking, well, I think I might want to do this. I think I might want to do that, but you don't know. And that is totally, totally okay. The thing you, you do want to do is that when you're looking at three opportunities in front of you and you're like, I don't know which one to take, because I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. What you want to do is say, okay, this opportunity, if I take this on the other side of that opportunity, how many doors will be open to me? Three, five, a hundred? Take the next opportunity. How many doors will be open to me? One, two, four. Next opportunity, five, 100, 1,000. When you don't know, take the opportunity that on the other side of that opportunity will have the most doors open to you, whatever those doors look like. And so that is something that I would absolutely advise you to do as you're thinking about early in your career.
0: I love that. I can Honestly, I can see myself in that situation right now. So I think that's, that's great advice.
1: Oh, good, good. Do you want to share with us, or no?
0: Uh, well, I think it's about you. Just dive into into what 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 resources have helped you, maybe in the last few years.
1: Okay, all right. Okay, I thought you might want to share, so that would be fun. But um, so but I will not deflect. I will continue to talk. So last few years, things that have helped me. Um, I would say so as you know, I've written um three books and I'm now working on my fourth book. And I think one resource that's been really important um in writing books is there's this sense that writing a book is a solitary effort that you go into this cave and you Write a book and then you come out. And what I have discovered that is, that writing a book, like pretty much everything else in life, is very much a team effort. And so, to the extent that you want to be a writer, or to the extent that you want to be a podcaster, find people, um, one or two people around you that are going to help you get that done. Like if you're a writer and you want to write a book, then find one or two people that are great editors. And there are different kinds of editors, but someone who can you can bounce your ideas against them, and they can be like, "Wow, oh, that's a great idea." "Oh, that's a terrible idea." But they kind of push you to the point that, to the extent that you're starting to feel kind of like a perfectionist around us and, you know, struggling with that one sentence or phrase or idea that you can toss to someone, they can give you some ideas and then toss it back. So writer, find, um, find a good editor. Mm -hmm. That would be something I would say on that process. And then from a podcasting perspective, um, to the extent that you decide that you want to be a podcaster, also get someone around you that can give you good advice on how to do interviews and how to frame your questions and how to do the technology, Um, because it's actually a pretty big endeavor. And I know when I first started, I felt like I didn't know how to do it but I didn't do it by myself. I started asking questions. Who do you know? And then I was able to assemble a team. And now when you look at my podcast, and I don't know if this is true for you, Thomas, but by the time I publish or release any podcast episode, there's probably seven or eight people who have touched that episode in some form or fashion. So that would be my advice now is like any endeavor that you have that might look solitary, um, whether it's speaking or podcasting or speaking like it's not get a team, find people around you. that are going to help you bring your, bring your a-game.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. I think that's great advice. So the next question is always a, a pretty hard question for people to answer, but I want to ask you the same question. So who are three people except, except your family who have been most influential to you during your journey?
1: Oh, oh, that's not a hard question.
0: Um, no. No, I, <laughs> a lot of people I, I, always say, oh, I cannot name three people or it's hard to rank them or whatever, but okay. go ahead. <laughs> All right.
1: So, so outside of our family, right? You said, so it doesn't include yeah. our family. Um, so I would say the first person, um, I would say is, um, most influence my journey. Okay. I'm going to throw out a couple of, them, and then we'll kind of see where it goes. So yep. one, obviously pivotal person was this boss that I had in my very first job working as a secretary who gave me that shot of saying, okay, we're going to promote you to be an investment banker. And again, if you're in financial services, like no one does that. And so super huge influence, not so much because of what he taught me, but just because he sponsored me and he gave me that opportunity. So that's been an influence of opening that door for me. Um, and again, like I said, his name is Caesar Baez. I really believe in giving shout outs to people who have been um, um, instrumental in our careers. Um, another person that I absolutely credit is more recent is Clayton Christensen. So I was working with him on a number of nonprofit projects with our church and got to know him. And so that's kind of a disruptive approach of getting to know this legendary thought leader. And um, he obviously has been hugely influential because it was his book that I read, The Innovator's Dilemma, that helped me understand when I was still picking stocks on Wall Street, what was happening with the stocks that I was following, why some were beating my numbers, some weren't. But then also this idea of... Um, Oh, if I want to do what I need to do in my life, you know, this inchoate sense of what it is, I'm going to need to disrupt myself. And so all of the work that I do now is built on and based on his theory of disruptive innovation. And then I've built that out to this idea of personal disruption. So his work has been hugely influential. Um, I'll name two other people that I think have been important. Another person Mm. that has been really influential for me is Marshall Goldsmith um he wrote a book called what got you here won't get you there Um, a couple of years ago he started this legacy project uh, called 100 Coaches. Actually, it started out being 15 coaches, and he was going to teach people what he knew. And he, ch- he selected me to be one of those people. And he's been a wonderful mentor. And I think it's part of the reason that my business has switched of saying, you know, when I was working on my coaching of introduced me to the first CEO that I started coaching, right, and, and was able to say to me, you're charging this, you should be charging that. Um, so he's been hugely influential in helping me think bigger. And also, again, being a sponsor in many ways, of my work, and then the the fourth person I'm going to mention, um, it, who's been influential in terms of my thinking, um, has been Brene Brown. So she, um, I got to have her on the podcast this year. So super huge highlight of the year. But when I think about her work and this idea of of shame and vulnerability and the notion of our willingness to disrupt ourselves, which always Almost always involves us. No, it always involves mm-hmm. stepping back from who we are to who we can be, and, and and in that process, we're making lots of mistakes. And one of the things I've discovered in studying her work is that it's not failure that's ever the issue when we're trying to disrupt ourselves or move up a S curve of learning to grow. It's the shame that we attach to it that ends up being the drag. And so her work has really influenced my thinking about you know what are the, the, the deterrents to our growth and, and then how do we deal with with those deterrents so so again Cesar Baez Clayton Christensen Marshall Goldsmith and Brene Brown
0: sounds good you that was an, a nice summary so I don't know every one of those people but sounds they're great people so let's back jump back to 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 you as a person what do you think your unique skill is or was that has helped you to become successful
1: mm. I love that question. Um, so I, uh, so that to me is a harder question actually, because I think that <laughs> we're so often we don't, we're, we're blind to what our strengths are. Um, so I think a couple of things, one is that I am hungry. I mean, I am hungry. Mm. I am willing to work very, very hard. Um, I'm not always as efficient as I could be, but I am willing to work and I am hungry. So I think those are two things that are, they're not sufficient, but they certainly are necessary. Um, I think the other thing that has has allowed me to be successful, and I think this maybe goes to my why, um, I just interviewed Simon Sinek for our podcast. So I was reading all of his oh, books. Amazing. I'm Thinking about, I'm thinking about, you know, start with why and like, what is my why? And I thought I knew what my why is, but I'll tell you what I think it is as of today. And it, it might change in six months, but, but I do think that this goes to how you end up being successful in whatever it is you're doing is you're really clear on why you're doing what you're doing. And my, I think my why is that. Every time I interact with someone, whether it's you, Thomas, or the person I was speaking to before we were on the phone and after I will, you know, whoever I speak to after is that when we finish interacting, you have a greater sense of your fundamental value and the possibility of who you can be. That I think is my why. And Got it. And I think that whenever we do work that is in service of that, whether it's writing a book or doing a podcast or keynote speaking or coaching someone, if we're doing that, and, I, and I'm also the other thing I would say is I'm really good at spotting momentum. I was a stock picker. Now I'm a people picker. Um, those two things combined, actually three. So work, grit, um, persistence, doggedness, and then this understanding of, I want to help you see your possibilities. And then I can also see the momentum around those possibilities for you. Those are all contributors, I would say to my success. Other people might say something different, but that's what I'm going to say.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. And I actually think uh, it's great that you talked about the the why from Simon, because I think that's something that way... That, that not enough people basically know about themselves they don't know why they're doing what they do they don't know why they stand up every morning they don't know why they run this business or that company and i think that's it's it's great to to have that and to know why you're doing what you do
1: yeah yeah and it takes a while i think don't you think to, it takes a while to like figure out like it's an iterative process yes. you're like i, th- I, it's, I think this easy. is what it is no it's like i think this is what it is and then you're like no, that's actually not it. So, so over time you figure it out and then you say it and then you feel like, does it resonate inside of my body, my physical being? And then you start to go, oh yeah, that does. Okay. So I think that's it. We're at least on the path, right?
0: Yeah. Totally agree on that. No, I totally agree with that. So let's wrap up with the fantastic four. Question number one, is there a CEO that you're following or studying right now?
1: Oh, is there a CEO that I'm following or studying? Um, Yes. So I have two CEOs that are actually clients. So I'm going to include those, then I'm going to include someone else. So one is, his name is Brandon Rodman. He's at a company called Weave and it's a high, high growth growth stage startup. So I'm Obviously he's a client, so I'm watching him and analyzing him and he's an amazing leader. And then another person, his name is Scott Pulsifer, and he's the president of Western Governors University that is doing amazing things, disrupting our traditional educational models. So those are two people that I'm watching because I'm very intimately mm-hmm. sort of acquainted with what they're trying to get done. But another CEO that I'm watching and have been really impressed by um, is um, Hubert, I'm an, totally mispronounce his name, but Hubert (laughs) Jolie, who's the CEO of Best Buy um, and, or actually was, actually, I think he's now the chairman. So that's not going to count, but we're going to use that one anyway. I'm very, very impressed by him and what he has done and built at his organization.
0: God, I love that. Do you have any routines that you strictly follow on a day-to-day basis
1: Yes, absolutely. I have many routines that I strictly follow on a day-to-day basis. Okay. So one is that um, as soon as I wake up, um, even though I'm still in bed, I get my headphones out, my AirPods out, I get my phone and I just start listening to motivational or sort of faith-based ideas just to get my head where I want it to be. Um, Some people wake up happy I don't, that's not how I wake up. I don't wake up naturally happy. So every day I kind of have to calibrate myself so that I'm in that place that I want to be, which is optimistic and, you know, to, 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 to move the day forward. Um, I religiously write out what I'm going to accomplish that day. I'll have three or four things that are top priority. Um, I exercise three or four days a week. Um, and let's see. Oh, and then every night, When I'm at home, um, we uh, sit down and, you know, either have dinner together um, and pray together and or watch television together and have a treat together because I love treats, whether it's hot fudge sundays or cookies. Yeah. So those are some things that I do. (laughs) Yeah. So those are things I do pretty much every day.
0: Got it. So you already answered my, my, my next question, which was, how do you often do sports a week? You said three to four times, correct?
1: Yeah. Do so you want to hear the quick story behind that? It's really yes. fun. Yes, go
0: ahead. Go ahead.
1: So last year, very beginning of the year, I had James Clear, who wrote Atomic Habits on my podcast. And he said, you can get 1% better every day. And if you do that, you'll be like 27, 37 times better. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do that with running. So I want to run a 5k. So I started out and I was doing five minutes at a time, but not like continuous, like 30 minutes, 30 seconds, walking 30, 30 seconds running. I started at five minutes. And if you had to improve at 1% every day, then I would have to add six seconds a day. So I started doing that. And then over time, it ends up being 10 seconds or 15 seconds. But as of this morning, when I did this exercise, I was at 26 minutes. So over the course of the year, Because I I travel a lot, so I can't do this every day. But over the course of the year, I have gone from doing five minutes to 26 minutes because I focused on that 1% a day. And so by next year, I'll be able to run a 5K. Isn't that cool?
0: That's amazing. And I think think that's great that you did that. I see so many people who to start it, but then don't stop. So maybe you can dive into a little bit or they, 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 they then stop. So tell us a bit why you, or how you, how you kept going all the time over that long period of time.
1: Well, I think, you know what I think it is, Thomas, is that there's something about that 1% that makes it super manageable. Like, you know, like I started at five minutes and tomorrow I only have to do five minutes and six seconds. And the next day I do five minutes and 12 seconds. Like that feels And starting at five minutes, I could have started at 20 minutes, but that felt too big. But I was like, five minutes, I can do five minutes, right? That's easy. And so I think the secret is, is to start at a place that feels so ridiculously easy that you just can't not do it, right? Right.
0: Yeah. You just can't no, not, not do advice. five
1: minutes on a treadmill. And then you start to build that muscle because now it's like, Oh, I just did 20, you know, 26 minutes, but that's not too hard. Cause yesterday I did 25 minutes and 45 seconds. So there starts yeah. to be this habit and this pattern and this wiring. And, and we all know that the way to get really good at something is for it to feel natural. And so by building that up, so gradually it starts to feel natural and so, it's it's just not that. I mean, you have to make time, but it's just not that hard. Whereas if I had said I was going to do twenty six minutes back in last January, that would have felt daunting, and I wouldn't have persisted.
0: Yeah, no, got it. I think that's that's great advice, and I think maybe some people will take that advice and and go for it in the audience. Oh, I so, hope so. Yeah. So last question: What do you wish you would have not? Uh, what do you wish you would have started when you were twenty years old?
1: I wish I would have started. I mean, woulda, coulda, shoulda, but um, I wish I would have started and I kind of did, but I stopped. So I wish I would have started really being serious about being able to play jazz piano.
0: That's great. I love it. So, so many people just say like, like business things, or they would have started, they, they, they would have said, would have loved to start Tesla or something like that. So oh, it's great. I think it's a great answer. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Oh, Thomas, thank you for having me. It's been a delight.